And the first is the prophecy update we've been doing weekly for a number of years now. And second service is actually the sermon. It's a verse by verse study currently in the book of First John. And today we're going to consider a question concerning the dramatic changes that would t- take place in every arena of our lives were we to just show loving kindness. Some of you might remember a while back I had shared that I was praying about and thinking about doing a topical teaching on kindness. So I was waiting on the Lord, and I'm so glad I did, because as it would turn out, it's not going to be a topical teaching. It's right here in our text today in First John. So when I shared this with my wife, she said, well, then you have to be kind this week. How am I doing so far? And then she said, because it's Mother's Day, you really have to be kind. So (laughs) please help me, Lord, to be kinder. Um, For those of you watching online by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to the website at jdfarag.org. There you will find the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get to it. I just want to talk with you today. And it's my hope and prayer that the update today will be an encouragement, an encouragement to all of us. I include myself in that. And this as it relates to two matters. First, the matter of how evil the world is becoming. And second, the matter of how much longer before the pre-trib rapture at our bridegroom's coming. If you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, these are very difficult matters, especially in the day in which we are living today. And many of us are grappling and wrestling with this. It seems that with each passing day, evil continues to wax worse and worse. And it's an indicator of how close we are really on the doorstep of the seven year tribulation. And yes, this comes packaged with much hope for those of us in Christ, knowing that the rapture is prior to the seven-year tribulation. However, it's getting considerably more difficult nonetheless. And what makes it even more difficult, and please hear me out, is that we're continually bombarded with what I'll refer to as this dialectic narrative. What's the dialectic narrative? It's this narrative that things are getting worse, 
particularly here in America, because who's in the White House? Oh, good. Thank you for responding that way. Now, this is what I mean by just hear me out and bear with me on this. I want you to think about this and think through this with me, okay? To say this and believe this suggests that if the problem is because of who is in the White House, then the solution must also come from who gets into the White House. Both are wrong. I say that in love. They're both wrong, such that the problem of increasing evil is because we live in a fallen world, a world not our home. And Bible prophecy tells us that as we near the end, it's going to get worse and worse, seemingly with each passing day. And it is. So that's where the problem is. That's why the problem is. That's the source of the problem. Now, what about the solution? Oh, the solution comes not from who's in the White House, but who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? I think of Isaiah. His world has fallen apart. The king has died. And here he is. He is crying out to God, as we're going to see today. And he is so shaken. And he looks and beholds the Lord seated on the throne. And it settles him. It's not who's in the White House, it's who's seated on the throne. And spoiler alert, he's still on the throne. Now, some of you are looking at me with that look again. Pastor, where are you going with this? Why are you starting out like this? Because would you agree that this is being earthly minded? And being earthly minded comes at the expense of being heavenly minded. Let me just expound briefly. If my focus is on turning things around down here in the temporal, my focus cannot be on being raptured up there in the eternal. In other words, if I still hold out hope for this world, it will obscure, dare I say, even dismantle my hope for being taken out of this world. Is that not our blessed hope, nay, even our only hope? If I could just be candid and open with you, sometimes I know doing so can make people feel uncomfortable, but this is just from the heart. This is a profound personal struggle for me, and I'll tell you why. I struggle greatly. I sorrow greatly. 
as I see the fulfilling of Bible prophecy specific to this, the end, unfold at breakneck speed. And nobody's talking about it. At a time when Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, and nobody's talking about Bible prophecy as it's being fulfilled. God, this is a but God for me, I guess. <laughs> this uh, wrestling and struggling has actually been the impetus for my seeking and inquiring of the Lord in my own time with the Lord. And in so doing, He has led me ever so gently. He's always so gentle, isn't He? And compassionately to His Word. That's the best place and the first place to go, isn't it? And He settled my heart as only He can and always does. And if you'll kindly allow me to, I'd like to share with you as an encouragement to you about two men of God who wrestled with this. They wrestled with how much longer it would be as God seemingly tarried in the face of unspeakable evil that exponentially escalated. And they couldn't wrap their minds around it. God, don't you see the evil? that is taking place. It seems like you're, you're letting them get away with this. You're letting them get away with murder. Two men, there's more, but just two men I want to talk with you about today. King David and the prophet Habakkuk, both of whom were surrounded by said escalating evil, which then prompted them to cry out to the Lord. And is that not what we do when we're faced with unspeakable evil, surrounded by pure evil? It prompts us, it propels us to the Lord, to seek the Lord and cry out to the Lord, and here's the thing, the Lord will always hearken unto the voice of our cry. We're going to start with Habakkuk, interesting guy. His name says it all. The name is the nature, as you know, particularly in the Old Testament. In fact, they would wait to name the children until they knew a little bit more about the nature of that child, unless God had showed them otherwise. You imagine that at birth, you don't have the name on the birth certificate, TBD, to be determined. We'll, we'll see what this one's going to be like, and then we're going to name them accordingly. I would have not named my two boys, Elias and Levi. I would have named them Search and Destroy. But enough of my problems. So his name is his nature. The name Habakkuk carries with it the idea of wrestling, clinging, embracing, and grappling, which describes exactly what this man of God did. 
Thankfully, though, he goes from wrestling with God to embracing and trusting in God, which then leads to his worshiping of God. However, the process, and it is a process, was grueling in the sense that he first had to grapple with how much longer, Lord, how long, how much longer is this going to go on? I'll begin with a few passages in Habakkuk first, then a couple of verses in Psalm 6, in which David also cries out unto the Lord, asking, How long, O Lord? As we're about to see, again, the Lord is going to hearken to the voice of their cry, and He's going to settle their troubled hearts, despite, listen very carefully now, despite the evil surrounding them getting considerably worse. He's going to settle their hearts in the midst of that, in the face of that. That's what we're going to see. And after we establish this biblical foundation with Habakkuk and David with him, then we're going to apply it to our own lives, because I know that there are many, perhaps here today or watching online, that are very troubled and struggling and hurting. Let's start with the first chapter, verses 1 through 3 in Habakkuk. There's only three chapters in this amazing book, by the way. If you wanted to read it, you could read it in one setting. I, I can assure you, you will be blessed if you do. The burden, verse 1, chapter 1, which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Verse 2, here it is. <laughs> oh Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear, even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble, for plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. That alone, contention. You, you got to know this, this was a soft hearted man. He had a soft heart and a loving heart, and this hurt his heart to see all of this happening all the striving and the arguing and the fighting and the posting on social media. Of course, he didn't have that back then. I'm just trying to bring it into modern day terms. Everyone is fighting with everyone about everything and anything every day, all day. I can't take it anymore, Lord. And I, I'm crying out to you, and what do I see? And why are you allowing me to see this? What I see is violence. What I see is evil. What I see is iniquity. What I see is trouble, problems all around me, surrounding me. This is what's known as the wise and the ways of God. He is asking God, why, Lord? Why? The Lord responds in 
verse 5 of chapter 1. Listen to his response. Look among the nations and watch. I like to see this and say this as God saying to us today, watch me now. Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded. Here's why, Habakkuk. For I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. In other words, Habakkuk, oh, just wait, you'll see. Watch this. I, I, oh, Habakkuk, I, listen, I, 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 it's not that I wouldn't tell you, it's that I couldn't tell you. And the reason I couldn't tell you beforehand is because if I tried to tell you, all it would do is create a thousand more why questions, right? Like when our kids are young, why is the sky blue? And then of course, us as parents, we try to answer it. And all we do is create more why questions. My, my answer was, by the way, you can use this if you want. Uh, there's no copyright on it. I would just say, because that's God's favorite color. I thought that would settle the case and close the file. It did not. So now the next question is, why is that God's favorite color? <laughs> because it is. It is, okay. So Habakkuk, I, I, I would have told you, I, I wanted to tell you, but you wouldn't have believed me even if I did. You wouldn't have been able to get your mind around it if I did. You would have been so utterly, it would have been beyond the capacity of your bandwidth in the temporal. I am infinite. You are only finite. I couldn't. Now, when the Lord goes on to explain to Habakkuk that He's going to use the Babylonians as the instrument of his judgment on his people for their evil. Well, <laughs> that makes it almost worse for Habakkuk. Now he's struggling even more. Why? Because Babylon is more evil than is Judah. Listen to his next plea in verses 13, 14, and 17. This is now Habakkuk responding to the Lord who has just responded to him. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously, speaking of Babylon, and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why? Here's the why questions. I, I told you about these, right? Why, why, why? Ay, 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 ay. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? Shall they, verse 17, therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? You know what Habakkuk is pleading with the Lord, inquiring of the Lord concerning, why Lord, how long are you going to let this go on Lord? 
You're going to use a people that is more evil than your people to judge your people with people that are more evil than your people. I hope you got that, because I don't know if I could say that again. And then not only that, if that weren't bad enough, why, why do you make us have to witness it? Why do you make us have to sit and watch this happen? Watch what happened. Oh, that they with impunity seemingly continue to in a murderous way slay nations. People are dying. Lord, how long? Now, this is where it gets very interesting. By the way, I'm sorry if I'm yelling. I'm supposed to be kind. I remember. It gets very interesting here because the Lord is now going to respond to Habakkuk. It's in chapter 2, and I'll read verses 2 through 4. And the Lord answered me and said, take notes. <laughs> Write this down. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision, verse 3, is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, meaning though it seems like it tarries, wait for it because it will, will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, verse 4, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith, by faith. Well, this is what settles his heart. So much so that Habakkuk puts it to song. And we have that song and the lyrics to the song in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Listen to this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, or no food on the shelves. Oh, that's not in the original. Yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high hills. And this song is to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Who's the chief musician? That better be capitalized in your Bibles. That's the Lord. It's the same chief musician that the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, would write and pen the words to the song, Psalm 
6. It's to the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. Listen to verses 3 and 4. David crying out to God. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, oh Lord, how long? Return, O oh Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. He goes on to describe very oh, graphically, for lack of a better word, how he just soaks his bed at night with his tears, meaning he can't sleep. He's not sleeping through the night. He's weeping through the night. He's physically sick. It's taking its toll on him physically because of the intensity and the enormity of his situation. And he cries out to God, echoing that which the prophet Habakkuk would also cry out to the Lord. How long, Lord, don't you see what the evil is all around me? How long, O oh Lord, before you rush in? You know, we uh, refer to a crisis of faith, uh, usually in the context of uh, losing one's faith in God. But there's a different kind of crisis of faith, and it's the opposite. And let me explain. It's a crisis of faith, not in losing one's faith in God, it's a crisis because you know God could instantly change everything, but He doesn't. And it baffles you, and you don't understand why. And that's why you cry, God. <laughs> Listen, I mean, it just seems so clear to me that you should just bring fire down from heaven, like James and John, which we're going to talk about second service, affectionately referred to as the sons of thunder, when they didn't accept Jesus. And John and James go to Jesus and say, do you want us to call down fire like Elijah did and just torch them on the spot? <laughs> That's second service. I'm not going to preach second service ser sermon right now, but you get the point, right? God, why aren't you torching them? Why aren't you judging them? They just continue on in their evil. And Lord, how long? How long, Lord? How long until you deliver me? How long until you save me? How long until that trumpet sounds, Lord? It's getting really bad. It's getting worse. Well, Let's go to verse 8. So the first seven verses of Psalm 6, very depressing. Very depressing. I mean, if, if you just stop at verse 7, uh, you should be depressed. But 8 comes after 7. I know that's deeply profound. But from verse 8 on through the rest, everything changes. Oh, David's circumstances have not changed. We'll talk about that more in a moment. 
But something has changed. Listen to what David says, verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. <laughs> For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Ye all in big trouble now. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. I like this. David's the one who's so troubled. And now he's saying, not me now. It's on you. You better be greatly troubled. I'm no longer greatly troubled because the Lord has hearkened unto the voice of my cry. Oh Lord, how long? And the Lord has settled me like He just settled Habakkuk. Do you see the common denominator between these two men of God? God did not immediately change the evil circumstances surrounding them, but He did change their troubled hearts within them. Nothing changed. In fact, it could be argued that it got considerably worse even after that. But something changed, yeah. What changed was God settled their troubled hearts within them, despite the evil around them. And it's evidence in chapter 3, verse 18, when Habakkuk says, and I love this so much, and it's going to be germane to our understanding of what the Lord has put on my heart to share with you today. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm not going to rejoice in my circumstances. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of my circumstances, despite my circumstances. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. That's Nehemiah 8.11. <laughs> the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. How about that? <laughs> Take that. What do you think about that? You got to put the growl into it for effect. Okay, wait. H how so? <laughs> Because, you know, uh, human nature, the sin nature, the Adamic nature in all of us chafes at this. And here's what that sounds like and looks like. J.D., you can't be happy right now. Do you see what's going on? Oh, I I'm sorry, there's been a misunderstanding. You didn't get the memo. Uh, apparently, you still think that my joy is predicated upon my circumstances. No, my joy is in the Lord, despite the circumstances. See, my rejoicing in the Lord is not synonymous with or predicated upon rejoicing in my circumstances. In fact, with Habakkuk and David and the many others like them, and this is for you and me today, by the way, we can rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, but do you see how bad it's getting? We can rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. I can still have joy. Now why is this so important? Because if we're to have any hope 
of drinking from the cup of the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And we need that strength if we are to have any hope as we wait for the Lord. That's the only way. And like with both of these men, we too can know this joy in the midst of unspeakable evil, if we would but live our lives, and this is key, please hear me, by faith and not sight. Because faith is the antithesis of sight. And the just, the righteous, live by faith, not sight. Yeah, I just don't see it. Wait, oh, I'm sorry. That must have been another memo that was missed. Because that infers that in order to have peace of mind and joy in your heart, uh, you have to see it first, because after all, seeing is believing. No, it's not. Believing is seeing. Believe and you will see. That's faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence, strong word, of that which is yet unseen. I don't see it, but by faith I'm going to believe it. I don't, God, I, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know the way you're going to do it. But I know by faith that you're going to do it. I wish you would tell me when you were going to do it, because it seems like you're taking your time, very long time. How much longer, Lord? I don't know when you're going to do it, but by faith I know that you will do it. Let me say one more thing, and we'll try to turn a corner here. If we are to have any hope of surviving and even thriving in the face of what lies ahead, and is even now, we have to see this through the eyes of faith. We see through the eyes of faith. It's the only way that we're going to make it until the appointed time. When's the appointed time? It's now. Oh no, here, here he goes again. You're going to say it again? You betcha I am. Fast forward to today, now, now, and what's arguably the evilest day now, did I say now? Now, because now is the appointed time. This is now that time, that long prophesied end of time. And for the remainder of our time, <laughs> I want to talk about this and why it is that it cannot be much longer. Be encouraged. With everything that's happening right now, are you kidding me right now? 
nah, not much longer, not much longer. Let's go ahead and end the live stream on Facebook and YouTube at this time, and hopefully you're already on the website. Okay, by way of a preface, let me hasten to say that multitudes of people are dying each and every day from this evil COVID-19 injection. And you're not hearing about it. And you won't, by the way. So uh, Wednesday of this last week, you know how it is when God orchestrates divine appointments, schedules divine appointments for you that you could have never in a million years ever scheduled? Well, He did that for me last Wednesday. And it allowed me the opportunity to talk with our mail carrier, who I actually was wondering about, thinking about, because uh, I hadn't seen her for a while. So whenever I see her, I always try to encourage her. And I just ask her, I don't come on too strong. I just ask her, how you doing? And uh, I just, I always let her know, hey, I'm praying for you. Sometimes, you know, if the Lord presents the opportunity, I'll say, is there anything specific I can pray for you for? I mean, the Lord knows, just, just know that I'm praying for you. And she always appreciates that. Well, on Wednesday when I asked her how she was doing, a little different response. She said, well, I could, I could be doing better. And so I asked her why. And she proceeded to tell me that there had been a number of unexpected deaths in her family. And it was really a hard time for her. Well, I <clears throat> immediately told her I was really sorry to hear about that. And I was uh, thinking about her because I hadn't seen her for a while. And then I just reiterated how I would, you know, pray for her. And then she started tearing up. And in the moments like that, and I know you probably uh, do the same, you know, you just kind of ask the Lord to give you the words to speak. And so I just got this prompting and sense from the Holy Spirit that I was to very gently ask her if she thought their deaths could be related to the shots. And her response, though hesitant at first, was that, and this is almost a verbatim quote, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but I believe that it is, because everyone who died was injected. Oh. You know, uh, yeah. Thursday night, uh, Ezekiel 9, um, Ezekiel shown a vision, and there is this uh, angel who is told to put a mark, which was the Hebrew letter Tau, the shape of a cross on the forehead, to seal those who sighed and cried over the abominations and the evil that was being committed in Jerusalem. And I think about that, you know, it, 
It's, 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 I think about Solomon who, who writes the, that with much knowledge comes much sorrow. You know, one thing about being believers in and followers of Jesus Christ and knowing the Word of God and the God of the Word and knowing <laughs> what God's Word says about the end, it, it, it comes with this grief, this sorrow, because we do know how it ends. And if that doesn't give you a compassion for people, I mean, if, the, if they only knew what was coming, and it is even now already here. So after she shared that, I tried to gather myself and just tell her again that I was so sorry to hear this, and that I would absolutely be praying for her, that God would encourage her and comfort her and that she would uh, be blessed. And she was very appreciative of that. I'm praying for her salvation. What struck me about this conversation, though, was her hesitancy. She hesitated, and then she said, I, I hate to say it. You know what that tells me? The hesitancy to dare say anything says everything, especially when it comes to the evil of this and the facts about this. You know what's sad? Any search for authentication of this or documentation on this is met with a flurry of so-called fact-checkers attempting to debunk it. However, the more they try to debunk it, they, the more they unwittingly lend creed to it. What do you mean? Well, I mean, why are you so hell-bent, literally, on explaining it away? This is actually exactly what that famous line in the William Shakespeare play Hamlet speaks to. Perhaps you've heard it. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. It's spoken by Queen Gertrude in response to the insincere overacting of a character in the play within a play created by Prince Hamlet to prove his uncle's guilt in the murder of his father, the King of Denmark. This famous line has come to be known as a cynical, ironic, and even sarcastic comment directed at someone who seems to overdo, overreact to a situation or accusation so as to appear innocent when in fact they're guilty. I bring this up because these counterfeit fact checkers, you got to say it just like that, doth protest too much, methinks. And they end up authenticating the very facts they seek to debunk vis-a-vis -vis creating the very thing they're hoping to avoid. Namely, 
that of generating more curiosity and interest in that which they want us to dismiss under the banner of being false or fake, not truth or fact. And they repeat the CIA narrative, conspiracy theory. That was the CIA, by the way. It's kind of like, this is human nature, right? So uh, I'm going to use this illustration. If you got a better one, again, please let me know. Uh, this is all I've got. So deal with it. So you're walking along the sidewalk and, and you see a, a storefront window and it's all covered in paper, except for one little small puka. And there's writing above it. So you, you, and the writing says, do not look in this hole. I mean, you got people lined up three blocks down the street. Why? Why not? What's in there? What do you, what do you not want me to see? Now I really want to see it. See, if you would have never said, don't look in here, I would have walked on by. I would have never thought about looking in there. By the way, that has a, well, that's another sermon for another time. Uh, I got a lot of sermons that I got to preach sometimes saying that all the time. But um, that's what the law of God is. I would have not known that it was sin had it not been for the law that says that's sin. Well, this is what they're doing. It's kind of like Adam and Eve, (laughs) you can eat from all the trees in the garden. But the one tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou must not eat. For in the day that thou eatest from it, thou shalt surely die. Here's Adam and Eve. What? What's up with, why that tree? You see what I mean? The fact checkers. I wonder why they protest too much. Could it be that they don't want me to see? Well, be that as it may, the evil of our day at this the very last day of human history. And that is not hyperbole. I think you know when I say that, and I do say that, and I'm going to say that again. (laughs) This is the last hour. This is it. This is how it ends. And by the way, it's worse than most of us can possibly imagine. And I realize that's a pretty bold statement, but the truth of the matter is we have no idea about the evil that is now happening. The Apostle Paul references this. It is unspeakable to say what the deeds of darkness, what the evil that is done. It's unspeakable. Well, in the interest of time, I'm going to focus in on just one in particular. But please know that it all has at its core the evil COVID-19 injections. I knew that. There he goes again. Just would you hear me out, please? 
Just hear me out. Pictured here is a screenshot of this report from the Daily Mail on Monday, May 5th, titled, Exclusive. Shocking images show the two-mile-long vehicle encampment made up of people living in RVs, trucks, and trailers along Highway 101 north of San Francisco as low-income people are pushed out of the housing market. Question needs to be asked and answered. What's the question? Why are so many people homeless now? Answer, because of the pre-planned and perpetrated evil of what we know as COVID-19, and by extension, the so-called vaccine, and this for no less than two reasons, chief of which is that many who refuse to be injected with this death shot, fearing they would lose their lives, have instead lost their livelihoods. That's why they're homeless. The second reason, COVID-19 and the so-called vaccine was designed and introduced to every nation on earth to destroy the economy of every nation on earth. What's ensued is that the global population that's still alive has now become dependent on a satanic system to stay alive. And by the way, that's in the book of Revelation described exactly, precisely, with precision. Enter what's being dubbed 15-minute cities, aka smart cities. Have you heard about these? Please know that COVID-19 was also created for 15-minute cities. I, I say it like that because the vaccine was not created for COVID-19. COVID-19 was created for the so-called vaccine. How are we going to get this poison into people? Oh, we got to uh, come up with a reason for them to want to get this poison in them. So you create, manufacture COVID-19. So uh, COVID-19 was also created for the 15-minute cities. These smart cities were not created because of COVID-19. COVID-19 was created for the smart cities. How are we going to get people into these concentration camps slash smart cities slash 15-minute cities? To the question of what are 15-minute cities or smart cities, they explain them as an urban planning concept for everyone's daily needs and services, like one's job, education, medical care, and shopping for necessities, be within a 15-minute distance, either by walking or biking. Wait, what about driving? No, you don't own a car, and you're happy, remember? You'll own nothing and be happy. You're going to walk. You don't need a car. Aren't you happy? And that bike, by the way, you don't own that. We do, but you can ride it. Are you happy? This, okay, never mind. 
According to the website, 15minutescity.com, and the about page, they state, and I quote, everyone living in a city should have access to essential urban services within a 15-minute walk or bike. The 15-minute city project is designed to help access-focused urban transformations be what we need them to be, ambitious, inclusive, measurable, and effectively implemented. Hmm. The 15-minute city project, still quoting, was created by Dan Lusher, an urbanist and longtime, wait for it, San Francisco resident. Wait, didn't you just quote the Daily Mail and show us a photo of mile-long stretches of homeless people in vehicles? Was that in San Francisco? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. So apparently this Dan Lusher uh, urbanist, longtime San Francisco resident, has a passion for making cities work for everyone. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised by articles like this one from the Washington Standard on March 14th about how one Donald J. Trump is promoting 15-minute cities, which he calls freedom cities. Oh, don't look at me like that. For those who viciously attacked me for saying anything about Trump and dare, I suggest that Trump is in on this. Can you stop, please? Please stop that. Uh, look at this White House press release. By the way, uh, the date, September 14th, 2015. Wait, let's might jog your memory. Let's see, who was president in 2015? You got it? Barack Obama. Oh, press release from the White House, September 14th, 2015. Fact sheet. Administration announces new smart cities initiative to help communities tackle local challenges and improve city services. 2015, uh, if my math is correct, that's five years before everything changed, never to be the same again. 2015, how'd they know? <laughs> because they did it. Vladimir Lenin, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it yourself. And it, by the way, okay, I better get this on the table real quick, lastly, because so many people think, well, JD's pro-Biden. JD voted for Biden. Okay, listen, just for the record, let's just set the record straight. I did not vote for Biden. I've never been injected. I've never even been tested. So go ahead and post that on social media, will ya? Wow. Thank you. I'm feeling the love right now. So I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender. 
Here's a screenshot from GovTech.com <laughs> about the Biden administration being good for smart cities. Now, this has been in the works for decades. Did you know that? Of course you didn't. They've just been waiting for the optimum time to launch it. And now is that appointed optimum time at the time of the end, exactly as we're told in Scripture it would be. I'd really encourage you to do your own research on this. Don't take my word for this. We've included links to all of this. I will just quickly mention a couple more, starting with this video from last Friday, May 5th, titled Smart Cities Plus Pandemic Treaties. Here's another one from April 25th, titled Christine Anderson from 15-Minute Cities to Climate Lockdowns. Remember, we've talked about that. You're going to have a climate uh, credit score and a social credit score. One more thing on this, and it has to do with the book Vaccines, the Biggest Medical Fraud in History. What follows quickly are quotes that methinks the fact checkers doth protest too much, which again exposes the guilty party. Quote, the Spanish called it the French flu. Some say it originated in China. China. Got to say it just like that. China. Can I just say parenthetically, uh, God loves the Chinese people. God loves the Japanese people. God loves the German people. God loves the Arab people, my people. He, he loves the Arabs too. God loves China. And by the way, I think we would be blown away if I can say it that way, if we knew how many people by the multitudes are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in places like China. Okay, I feel a little bit better. Not quite though, but that's good enough for now. So some say it originated in China. Some say in Germany as a biological weapon. However, the most credible theory was that the 19... 18 flu pandemic was caused by vaccines. Most likely the experimental typhoid or flu vaccine. It was a common expression during the war that more soldiers were killed by vaccine shots than by shots from enemy guns. The vaccines, in addition to the poison drugs given in the hospital, made healing impossible in too many cases. If the men had not been young and healthy to begin with, they would have all succumbed to the mass poisoning in the army. The doctors give their so-called carriers a shot of poison vaccine every year, thus weakening their natural powers of defense against invasion of poisons. Vaccines always contaminate the body and weaken the whole physical organism and make one more susceptible to disease. This was proved by the high death rate and disease rate among the 100% vaccinated soldiers in all of our wars from 1917 up to the present time. Did you hear that? 
What? Oh, wait a minute. Now it's starting to make more sense. Oh, that's why nobody's dying who was not injected. Oh, that's why everybody's dying that was injected. Are you okay? Are we okay? Okay. One last thing here, and thank you for indulging me and just listening to me. And again, don't take my word for it. You listen, you, you do your own research. You owe it to yourself and your family and your children. 1917 to the present. Uh, how about uh, Vietnam? Fast forward, Desert Storm. Oh boy, well, here we go. Well, oh well, whatever. 9-11. Come on. Mandated vaccines for anthrax killed many. The Patriot Act. We are being crushed under the Patriot Act today because of 9-11. And that's what 9-11 was for. I better bring this in. Help me, Lord. Let's come back to Habakkuk and David. Lord, how long? How long? The answer is the same from the God who is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And that answer is, this is now that appointed time at the end. The end will speak. It will not lie. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. I will take it further and say, it is here. Our cry of how long, O Lord, can turn to the joy of the Lord when we put our faith in the Lord. Because again, the just shall live by faith, not sight. And I'll say it again, it's when we live by faith that we'll see through the eyes of faith that this is that appointed time of the end, and it will surely come. Nay, it is already here. And if you tire of me saying this, you're going to get really tired of me saying this, because I'm going to keep saying this. The end is no longer near. The end is now here. It's here now. This is it. This is it. This is how it ends. And this is why we always end with the gospel, the good news of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. It's also why we end with a simple childlike explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. Please give me a couple more minutes and then we'll have our but God testimony and we'll be done. And I appreciate your patience. The A is for admit or acknowledge. This is just a simple childlike explanation. It's a tool to equip you, 
Should the Lord ever present the profound privilege of bringing somebody into your path to share Jesus with? And wouldn't you agree that people need Jesus now than at any other time in human history? Your mail carrier needs Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, they need Jesus. You need to get Jesus to them and them to Jesus as fast as you can, because time is running out. There has to be this acknowledging that I am a sinner, I have sinned, because it's not until I acknowledge or admit that I'm a sinner that I'm at all interested in the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one's good. Oh, you might be good, but you'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 explains why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why we must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. We have to be born again of the Spirit of God to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the good news has to first have the bad news because, and I know this isn't proper English, the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news will be. What's the bad news first? Well, the bad news is you've been sentenced to death because the wages of sin is death. You ready for the good news? The good news is the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. See, we've all been sentenced to death because the wages of sin is death. We've, we've all now, because we were born sinners, are under the death penalty. But here's the good news. Jesus comes and says, I'll pay your death penalty for you instead of you good news. And that's what the word gospel means. Good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's the A. Here's the B. And this is so central. It's so simple. Believe. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe, put your trust in Him, would not perish in hell for all of eternity, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. There's no ambiguity. There's no uncertainty. You will be saved. The debt has been paid. It is finished. And then that brings us to the sea, which is the outflow, the expression of believing in your heart, and it's calling upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Romans 10, 13, lastly, really sums it up, seals the deal. All who call upon the name of the Lord And there's that word again, will, will be saved, period. It is finished, period. Not comma. No, it's finished. He paid it all. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can bring to the table of salvation. You're saved by grace, through faith. It's not of works. It's the gift of God 
lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I implore you before we end with the but God testimony for today, I implore you please, please hear this pastor's heart. And the Lord knows my heart. I, I grieve so. I grieve so, because I do know. And with that knowledge of Bible prophecy, there comes that sorrow for people. I feel so sorry for people because they just don't know. I implore you today, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, believing in Him, calling upon Him, I pray that today you would make the most important decision of your life for eternal life. You might be watching online. If you're still watching online, praise the Lord for that alone. But you're doing that for a reason. Today is the day of your salvation. I implore you, today, make the most important decision of your life for eternal life while there's still time. Okay, today's But God testimony comes from a, an Andrea Christine Poros. She's out of the UK. And I have to warn you that it's heartbreaking. Dear Pastor J.D. Farag, my fiance mysteriously died on March 26th of this year from a massive brain bleed. I was looking forward to building a life with him as God put us together. He was born again thanks to the fact that I shared the ABCs of salvation with him over a year and a half ago. He gave his life and heart to Christ. I was next to him in intensive care, holding his hand and crying for two and a half days as to how he got like that completely unexpectedly. At first I thought he had a stroke, but the coroner made the verdict that Adrian knocked his head on the bath, and that is how he had a massive brain bleed and lost balance in the bath. The coroner said it was not suspicious circumstances, but I was surprised that an investigation was not thoroughly done. Adrian had had many vaccinations, and I had begged him not to have them, but he ignored me and went ahead anyway. I remain unvaxxed, but have been the recipient of very extreme hatred by my government here in the UK. The stuff they do is always undercover. Adrian had been cycling that week and was deemed as fit by his physiotherapist the day before he collapsed. No one was expecting anything unusual to take place. She then goes on to detail the horrific nightmare that's ensuing. I've edited it for time, but suffice it to say that all of this is intended for evil, but God means it for good for the salvation of many, including Adrian, over a year and a half ago. Capono, come on up. Why don't you go ahead and stand up. Praise the Lord. I do want to say one last thing. I haven't said one last thing, right? Well, one last thing. And please, again, just hear me uh, on this. I know there are many that have either willingly or unwillingly taken this injection. And I think I'd be grossly remiss if I didn't say this again. <laughs> if you're born again, you cannot be unborn again. You have not lost your salvation. That would mean that you have to work to keep it. That's works again. 
Okay, well, I'm saved, but then now you do your part. That's works. That's not grace. No, you're saved. If you're saved, you're saved. And I know it's coming under extreme, I'm going to say, call it demonic attack, because that's what it is. The once saved, always saved sound doctrine. If you're saved, you're saved. If you're born again, you cannot be unborn again. Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you. Neither height, nor depth, nor angel, nor principality, nor power of darkness, nor any created thing, nor any injection can separate you from the love that God has for you. Um, I know many that have, and by the grace of God, have not experienced heretofore any adverse events. And you praise the Lord for that, because that's the Lord, by the way, that you have it. I was looking out my window. Okay, this is the last last thing. (laughs) See, I don't know if I'm going to have another week. This could be it. No, I mean that. I'm preaching my heart out like it's the last update. I hope it is. Wouldn't wouldn't that be great? The last update. (laughs) So, there you go. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. I'm looking out my window the other day. And I noticed the conspicuous absence of traffic that I had once always seen out that same window years ago. I was a little taken back by it. I thought, oh, wait, wait it's not a holiday. No. Um, no, it's school. It's not summer. No. It's a nice day, so you'd think there would at least be traffic to the beach. No. There was a significant decrease in the amount of cars that I would typically see driving on the street that I had always looked at before. And here's what the Lord ministered to me. And I'm sorry I'm ending on this note. There's a lot of people, as my mail carrier shared with me, that aren't on that street anymore. They're gone. They're gone. If I told you that we're talking about tens, maybe even hundreds of millions of people worldwide, would you believe me? That's the only explanation for the conspicuous absence of seeing just the hustle and the bustle and the flurry of activity from people. There are no more people anymore because they've died. And this is why. Father in heaven, I, I know this is sobering and tough and strong and hard. And But Lord, If I don't say it, who is going to say it? If it's not us, who? If it's not now, when? If it's not here, where? No, it is us, and it is now, and it is here. So Lord, would you take this in all of its strength? (laughs) And as only you can, Lord, you're always so faithful to do this. Let it have the much-needed effect of propelling us to you like a Habakkuk and a David and cry out to you and seek you while you may be found. And Lord, for anyone that has never called upon you, believed in you, Lord, today, please, I, 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 I plead with you, Lord, today, 
Let it be the day for their salvation, Lord. And lastly, Lord, please <laughs> come quickly, Maranatha. It's getting very bad. The evil is just so bad. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, in Jesus' name, amen. Come all you weary, come and find His yoke is easy. His burden light, He is able, He will restore at the table of the Lord. I know He has a place for me, oh, what joy will fill my heart with the saints around the mercy seat of God come all you weary come and find his yoke is easy his burden light he is able he will restore at the table of the Lord, at the table of the Lord, at the table of the Lord. God bless you.